Hello, and welcome to Idioms and Idiots. This is our Thanksgiving episode. We're going to have all sorts of turkey and other food, animal-related idioms. Our word of the day today is turkey. Why is the bird turkey called the same thing as a country? Do we import them from Turkey? No, they're they're native to the United States. Hmm. Did a Spaniard land in America thinking he was in Turkey? No. No? Didn't get the uh, Native American treatment then, okay. (laughs) When Europeans first encountered turkeys in America, they thought they were guinea fowl, which were a type of bird that typically were found in in the country of Turkey. Mm -hmm. And the country of Turkey gets its name from the Turkish people. So why didn't they call it guinea fowl? Well, they called it turkey fowl because they thought they were like the guinea fowl from Turkey. Okay. And then they sorted that to just turkey. So that's how the word turkey comes to mean the bird. How did this, how did this not catch on as a naming phase? <laughs> Large hats in America are just called Mexico's. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to start us off with a recap from last week on batty? Yes. Meaning crazy. Yeah. So do you have any guesses for why we call it batty? Uh, no, but I have a clip that perfectly embodies both batty as in meaning related to bats. Okay. And batty as in crazy. Do share. So for those that couldn't place that clip, Justin thinks the term baddie comes from the 2008 movie Batman Begins. What year did this come out? 2005. Wow. Oh, that long? Yeah. Whoa. I think it comes from the scene where Scarecrow is scaring Batman by having bats come out of his face. It's baddie, both as in bats and crazy. Okay. Can you do me a favor and hand me the top book over there? My actual guess is that it comes from Bats in the Belfry. Doesn't that mean crazy as well? Yeah, Bats in the Belfry. He's got Bats in the Belfry. Yeah. Belfry, yeah. Which I think just means like, is the Belfry like where they hang the bell? The Belfry where they hang the bell in a church? top of the tower, yeah. Yeah. So if there's Bats up there, then that bell hasn't been rung in a long time. So the Belfry is batty because it's filled with Bats because they haven't rung it in a long time. And I think it so it has a connotation of being unused and that transition to being a brain that's unused and i don't know you know i never made that i never made that correlation that bats are up there because the bell has been is unused so that's a good that's a good correlation that makes it a little bit better that's a better connection okay it actually comes from the british british physician william batty b-a-t-t-i-e and he was one of in the mid-18th century he was a big pioneer of treating insane people humanely not just imprisoning them and letting them wither and die, but actually treating them. So anyway, because he was very outspoken about how insane people should be treated, insane people were referred to as baddies, because you associate Dr. Batty with crazy. Interesting. Yeah. It's a little sad that his reputation lives on in sort of a negative way. Yeah. Yeah. 
right, our first idiom is turkey shoot. This is an opportunity of one individual or a party to gain an advantage over another individual party. So an unbalanced situation. And it's often used to refer to battles. So certain battles will be referred to as a turkey shoot when one side had an easy time defeating the other because of the nature of the situation. Okay. Where do you think turkey shoot originates from? Well, I think turkey shoot actually comes from hunting techniques for turkeys because turkeys are extremely dumb animals. And so when they're frightened, they all clump together into a giant cluster to make themselves appear bigger. <laughs> so then it's much easier to take them all out with, you know, one one shotgun. shotgun. Yeah. yeah. So Okay. You're closer than you think. <laughs> Holy crap, really? <laughs> well, it does actually come from a... It could possibly come from a technique for hunting turkeys. It's actually kind of the opposite of what you said. Okay. Specifically, the flock is usually all together in a grove or something, mm-hmm. and a hunter will flush them all out, and they'll scatter. And then the hunter will hide, and they'll return to the place from which they scattered one at a time. Oh. And then the hunter will pick them off one at a time as they come back. Oh, Wow. There were also turkey shoots, as in contests. Oh, yeah, where, where you, you win could, a frozen turkey, right? Where you could win a frozen turkey for shooting challenges with rifles or shotguns. And there were even some where you actually shot a turkey. The turkey would be in a machine that like held just its neck, and you had to shoot its head off. And what then, the? And then if you killed it, you got to keep it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's like out of Tales from the Crypt. All right, now it's time for our first segment, Etymology and Entomology. Today we're talking about the ladybug. Yay. We're actually, and that's going to be both the etymology and the entomology. Take a guess at this in this segment. Where okay. do you think the term ladybug comes from? Why do we call the little red bugs with black spots on their back ladybugs? I think a Portuguese explorer <laughs> saw these bugs and it reminded him of a red-headed woman he knew with black spots in her hair. He thought, oh... A bug looks like a lady I know. Looks like my lady. I'm going to call her Ladybug. <laughs> Again, you're not as far off as you might think. <laughs> In England, these are called ladybirds. Do you know that? No. Uh-uh. Yeah, we we had some books that were published by Ladybird. So there, I've seen some Ladybird books before. And both share a similar uh, etymological root. They were known as Our Lady's Birds. Okay. Our Lady being Mary, who was often depicted as wearing red. So Which Mary... Virgin Mary? Yeah. I've never seen her in red. I see her in blue a lot. Oh, shoot. This checks out on Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) Grab the big book. Thank you. Ladybird. See under Ladybug. Next entry. Ladybug. (laughs) Yeah, so named not as childish fancy may have assumed, because these beneficial insects are all female, but in honor of Our Lady, the Virgin Mary. Huh. Yeah, and there were more symbology. The red color represents her cloak, and the seven spots represent the seven joys and seven sorrows. So they built some symbology around the ladybird. Are there consistently seven spots on ladybugs? Uh, well, I think so. So ladybugs, we, we use that word for lots of different species. Okay. It's actually the family Coccinellidae, and there are quite a few subspecies. But I think some of the subspecies have seven. Hmm. We have a bunch of these at work. We can go and count when we come back in in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, there'll be at least two dead ladybugs on my desk in the morning. Both my pet ladybugs today died. Sad day. It was. They definitely don't all have red or seven dots, Mm -hmm. but some do. Okay. So anyway, they were called Our Lady's Bird, Mm -hmm. which then became just sort of ladybirds in England. But then in the United States, ladybird 
got changed to ladybug so because it's a bug because it's a, well <laughs> interestingly <laughs> it's not a true bug which is a term that i just learned recently <laughs> wait bug is not just slang it's yeah i thought that bug was slang too but apparently there's a technical category of true bug oh wow this entomology section is going off the rails <laughs> which applies to the order of insects hemipatera hmm. and it's cicadas aphids plant hoppers leaf hoppers and shield bugs they share a common arrangement of sucking mouth parts that's that's a small group yeah it's not all insects for sure yep wow so now that we know this do we have to stand by that <laughs> Call people out when they refer to it as bug spray and not insect repellent. Or just call it, yeah. <laughs> Ladybugs are now Lady Coxophilidae. Did, did I say that right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Coxanellidae. Coxanellidae. Lady Coxanellidae. Well, that refers to the whole... This is, we've, we've gone deep enough, I think, to count for both etymology and entomology. <laughs> All right, our next idiom is talk turkey. You suggested this one when we decided to have a theme of turkeys. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really one I use, but it means to get down to brass tacks, <laughs> to use another idiom to define the idiom. It means to talk seriously, frankly, or directly about an issue or a deal or a negotiation, something like that. Yeah. Before I get into the convoluted ideas regarding this origin, do you want to take a crack at where you think talk turkey comes from? Of course I do. <laughs> I'm blaming this one on you. <laughs> All right. So like many idioms, this one is actually a marketing campaign from the early 40s. The uh, Johnston Poultry sponsored many TV and radio dramas. And so, again, turkeys are dumb. They had a bad reputation. And so they decided to make the turkey a little more serious. They would sponsor these TV and radio shows and have the writers use the phrase talk turkey to mean let's get serious. Let's get down to business. Let's get down to brass tacks. We now have to do brass tacks for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll squeeze that in somewhere. So, yeah, um, marketing campaign for turkeys. Okay, let, let, let's let's just let's just read this organ this origin. Here, here's an origin proposed in 1826 for this phrase. So the phrase is old. Let's let's read this as though it was fact, and you tell me and not speculation. You, you, ju- you just react to this. There's a story variously reported that is often used in an explanation of the way this expression arose. Two men, one an Indian, went for a day's hunting. They shot several birds, among them one or more turkeys. But when it came time to divide the bag, the smart white man, thinking to take advantage of the ignorant savage, always arranged the counting in such a way that the turkeys fell to his share. The Indian, however, was not so gullible as he seemed. Finally, he faced his companion. Ugh, he said, all this time you talk turkey, now I talk turkey to you. Wow! And I found this like in numerous things because this was the the story given like in the 1800s. I totally believe that that story was told in the 1800s. Yeah. No doubt about it. Oh, it's... <laughs> oh man. There, there are actually some other 1800s definitions of it. Definitions mm-hmm. that actually just meant the opposite. It meant crazy talk. Oh, yeah. So to talk like a turkey gobbles mm-hmm. and just nonsense talk. But that definition obviously isn't the one that holds to today. Yeah. And the best one that I heard is a slight variation of this is just that a lot of times interactions between Europeans and Native Americans would be about wild turkeys Mm -hmm. and and hunting them. So sometimes when 
a white man would come to a village of Native Americans, they would say, are, are you here to talk turkey? Which is, you're, you're here on business. You're here on business to talk about the turkeys. Speaking of Thanksgiving, do you want to talk about the origins of Thanksgiving? So the origin of the holiday Thanksgiving is hard to pinpoint exactly because harvest festivals have been a European tradition even before colonial America. But the origin of Thanksgiving is most commonly traced to the celebration at Plymouth in 1621, which was documented by several pilgrims. And it's included that the Native Americans had provided some food for them to survive through the winter and they had a feast with them over three days. And Squanto, one of, have you heard that name before? No. Well, Squanto, I think he was taken to England as a slave, so he spoke English. Okay. So he was able to act as an intermediary. Yeah, he assisted the pilgrims in their first winter, integral to their survival. He taught them how to fish for eel and how to plant corn. Why don't we have eel at Thanksgiving? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love eel. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Probably... <laughs> Why didn't that catch on? I know. We could be farming eels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that's the story that includes Squanto as the intermediary between the pilgrims and the Native Americans, and that's what brought them together for several days of feasting when the harvest came, because the Native Americans had played a crucial role in them surviving the winter. Mm-hmm. And this was the Mayflower that landed at Plymouth. Brought the, the um, Puritans over? No, brought pilgrims Pilgrims, over. okay. And that is actually a distinction that we'll get into in a second. So a hundred pilgrims came over on the Mayflower and they were down to 50 by Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. So a lot of them didn't survive the winter and probably none of them would if it hadn't been for the assistance of Squanto so and when Native they, Americans. When did they actually land? What, what time of the year did they land? The ship landed November 9th, 1620. Okay. And pretty quickly, a lot of the hundred pilgrims that came across died over and over half of them were dead by the November. This event occurred sometime between September and November. The exact date's not known. Okay. So the actual, so Thanksgiving, well, the first feast, the three day feast, the three day feast that was celebrated by the pilgrims occurred sometime the following year. And it was likely a harvest Thanksgiving celebration. So it would have probably occurred closer to September than November. All right. And this is the iconic story that is kind of told as the narrative. Mm Mm-hmm. Of Thanksgiving, but it's actually unlikely that this is actually what started the tradition just because, well, the tradition already existed of, of harvest festivals and stuff like that. And the Puritans who landed in what is now Boston, they also had celebrations in the 1600s around the harvest time. And it kind of seems like the story of the pilgrims is a single narrative, whereas a stronger tradition was established among the Puritans. But again, it's just really hard to say because it kind of just drifts from a variety of local celebrations Mm -hmm. into one celebration. Idiom number three, pig in a poke. Do you use this phrase? Never. Never. Yeah, me either. (laughs) It is an idiom, but I don't. I haven't really heard it. Where, where have you heard this at all? Well, have you, so, have you heard it even? Yes, I have. Uh, well, sort of. So in National Lampoon's European Vacation, they win their European vacation by going on a game show called Pig in a Poke, <laughs> where they're all dressed up in pig outfits. <laughs> it also seems like a phrase I've heard in like Iowa stump speeches during the political season. It seems like something a politician would say in okay, Iowa. That, that would make sense. Do you know what it means? No. Okay, it means... An offering or deal that is foolishly accepted without being examined first. 
Oh, okay. So an offering where one so, person doesn't do their due, due diligence. And is then victim of a scam or okay. at risk of being victim of a scam. I could definitely see this as like a catchy colloquialism that politicians would use to accuse the other side of a scam. Yeah. His his tax bill is a pig in a poke. Yeah. Okay. That would be an appropriate use of it. Do you want to take a stab at where pig in a poke comes from? <laughs> yes. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So here's, here's my thought on pig in a poke. Uh, police officers are often referred to as pigs. That was a slur against police officers. <laughs> A prison, a jail, a prison is called a, the pokey. You get sent to jail, you get sent to the pokey. So having a police officer in jail is, it's kind of like having a narc. It's an, You have an undercover cop in jail, right? So that's a, if you are in prison and there's a pig in the poke, that's a bad deal for people in the prison who are trying to maybe make toilet moonshine or trade in illicit goods. Okay, so interestingly, this is the same origin as the cats out of the bag. Really? Yeah, so poke meant a bag coming, I think it was borrowed from French. Okay. And that, and that's actually where we get the term pocket because the E-T-T-E ending mm-hmm. is a diminutive oh, ending. A little so, bag. So a little bag would be a pocket mm-hmm. or a pocket. Yeah. So it means a pig in a bag. And So someone wanted to buy a cat and they gave him <laughs> <them> a pig? <laughs> well, no, it could just be an unhealthy pig that you hadn't examined like because it's in a bag yeah or it could not be a pig at all it could be be a cat cat or a dog (laughs) (laughs) and it goes back to the same confidence scam of selling someone something in a bag so it's not examined oh wow so uh call back to cats out of the bag it's kind of cool yeah pigs also something we eat at thanksgiving yeah so scams nowadays since that's two scams from ye olden times yeah. that are now idioms, are we going to have the Niger? I mean, is, if, if something is it a Nigerian prince, is that going to become the, an idiom for? Yeah, <laughs> I thought you were going to go Ponzi with that, which we definitely have Ponzi scheme. I think that'll outlast knowing who Ponzi was. Who was Ponzi? He was a guy who did a Ponzi scheme. Oh, <laughs> but I, so he, if I if I'm remembering this correctly. He, his gimmick was that he, he was earning money based on differences in stamp prices. Mm-hmm. But all he was doing was paying anyone who wanted to withdraw money from people who were investing. So and it only lasted as long as there was a lot of new investors. And he had insane interest rates. So the scam was pretty much that he was, instead of betting on the currencies market, he was betting on the stamps market? Something like that? Um Charles Ponzi was an Italian businessman and con artist in the U.S. and Canada. <laughs> well, he didn't invent it. Well, I think there's he just uh, popularized the, it. the theme. One of the main spoiler alert. One of the themes of Little Dorrit by Dickens is someone running a Ponzi scheme. Oh. So it, it's obviously been around a while, but that one was in the 1920s was a news event. And therefore the, the term has stuck since then. <laughs> uh he promised clients 50% within 45 days or 100% within 90 days by buying discounted postal reply coupons in other countries and redeeming them at face value in the United States as a form of arbitrage. Wow. But he wasn't actually doing that. Like, Yeah, he, that doesn't sound like it works. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. <laughs> All right, for our next segment, I'd like to suggest some alternatives to slang terms that we've come up with that are kind of racist based off of native Americans. (laughs) So yeah, there's the term Indian giver, which is used to mean someone who gives something and then takes it back. Yeah. This 
originates from Europeans very much misunderstanding Native American culture. Okay. So, so Indian giver. Yeah, that's always been troublesome because I've. Because I don't. There's no synonyms for this term. So I'd like to suggest one. All right. Do you have any? Do you have any suggestions for what we can say instead of this? Because it's this just stems from a complete misunderstanding of Native Americans, and I don't think we should. No, I've. It's. I have tried to. Come it's up definitely with, offensive. I've tried to come up with a replacement for this, and all I can think of is a gift take backer, which is just. It's not easy to say. It's. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's like no take no take backsies. No take backsies, but he's. Uh, so then there could be a take backer. Yeah. Yeah. He's a take backer. That's not that's not a bad word actually. Take backer. Yeah, but it's doesn't it roll off. I don't know. It, it sounds, does roll off your tongue. Take backer. Take backer. Like a quarterbacker. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the yeah. worst. It's not the worst. I thought of calling it calling them childish givers mm-hmm. because I think of this as kind of like a childish thing to do, and it's common among kids to like hand you something and then like definitely expect it back. Yeah, that's true. So what do you think? Take, take backer or. I think childish giver. I think for the next 20 years, it needs to be childish giver because it's close enough to Indian giver that people can easily transition into it. Okay. Let's, let's try another one. Okay. This one's easier because there's, there's sitting Indian style. Oh yeah. Crisscross applesauce. Yes. Uh, Sitting Indian style is sitting cross-legged on the floor. Yeah. It's kind of like the Lotus position. Only your feet. No, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Sitting crisscross applesauce is sitting with your legs crossed on the floor. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of like the lotus position, if you're familiar with yoga, except your feet are not above your thighs. They're below your thighs. Okay. It's crisscross applesauce. You're sitting crisscross applesauce. Yeah. That's That's a good, that rolls off the tongue. It is. Well, that one's easy. Yeah. So the next one is Indian burn. This is when you grab someone's forearm with both your hands and twist your hands in opposite directions, and it gives the other person kind of a rash. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. According to Wikipedia's list of school pranks, <laughs> there are a number of other names from this, so we can just pick one of them. Okay. It's also called a Chinese burn. Yeah, I think that's the Eagle- <laughs> how, how it's said in England. Is that right? I don't know. Okay. They didn't say. So equally offensive. Not quite better. Uh, it's also called a snake bite or an eraser burn or a nettle burn. I like eraser burn. Yeah, that, that's my favorite too, yeah. is calling it a racer burn. I will tell my kids not to do this in the first place, but <laughs> also that it's called an eraser burn. So to reappropriate the word Indian burn, I would like to <laughs> I would like to call an Indian burn is now when you order a curry that's like spice level five <laughs> and you immediately regret it. That is an Indian burn. <laughs> How much do you want to play on me being a Protestant and you being a Catholic? I love making fun of Protestants. Let's do it. <laughs> it's not how this is going to go down, but <laughs> idiom number four, his goose is cooked, which means all hope is gone or your fate is sealed. All right. Any idea where this came from? <laughs> uh, I would guess the Regency era during in England. The re- Okay, so the Regency era is what a lot of, actually maybe all of Jane Austen's books are set in. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so it was very, you know... Posh. Very posh time. Hoity-toity. 
Yeah, hoity-toity. And in the ages prior to that, when people were executed, they were given a last request, and that was typically a cigarette. Well, during the Regency era, they wanted to kind of make things a little better, show that they were a better class of executioners. And so this is when they implemented the last meal, and they decided for the last meal, you wouldn't get a choice, you would get a Christmas goose. So when you talked about an executed prisoner in polite company, instead of saying he was executed, which is very rude and just... A little too on the nose. A little too on the nose. Yeah, very guttural. It's, oh, his goose was cooked. (laughs) Once again, (laughs) you're surprisingly close. (laughs) So uh, I came across two possibilities, but one I think is more reliable. I'll go over the one that you're not close to, but also makes kind of sense, is that it comes from Aesop's fable of the goose that laid the golden egg. Oh. And in the end of that story, the goose is needlessly killed. Okay. And so that kind of finality and then no more golden eggs because okay. the goose is cooked. Yeah. But actually, it seems more likely that it comes from the Protestant reformer Jan Hus, okay. who, like Martin Luther, broke off from the Catholic Church and thought that the people should be able to read the Bible in their own language and many heretical things Heretic. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, Bet you nailed a piece of paper to a church, didn't he? <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, well, that, not that I found anyway. But he was called out as a heretic by the Church of Germany. I think he was Czech. Hmm. Let me check. <laughs> but up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, he was a Czech priest, philosopher, and early Christian reformer. So he came about 100 years before Martin Luther. Hmm. And the Catholic Church... I don't know if, you, if I've led up to this enough, but they burned him at the stake Okay. in Germany. And in Germany, Hus, mm-hmm. H-U-S, it was his last name, is the German word for goose. Oh, wow. So <laughs> <laughs> the goose was cooked, yeah. became a phrase to refer to this heretic that had just oh, been wow. burned at the stake because of thinking that people should be able to read the Bible in their language. <laughs> Okay, I, I do not know how this next segment's going to go. Okay, this will be fun, though. Yeah. I'm in a good mood, so. Okay. All right, for our last segment, we're going to name some animals. I, well, you're going to name some animals. Awesome. We're going to pretend that you have landed on the continent Terra Australis, which hypothetically existed where Antarctica existed. Okay. So before the whole world had been mapped, there was a theory that there might be a continent at the bottom of the world. And people thought it could be, you know, hugely fertile and and have natives who could easily be exploited. Little do they know that's where Cthulhu lives. (laughs) This continent doesn't actually exist, but we're going to pretend it is. And I'm going to describe some animals, actual animals. Mm -hmm. But we're going to pretend that you're seeing these for the first time on Terra Australis. And I want you to name them like a colonial explorer. Through colonial eyes. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't have to be as convoluted as the turkey. Like you don't have to name it as the country where you saw that one thing that looked like this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I want to describe it and just, just be, a, be an imperialist or gotcha. colonialist. All right. You ready? Yep. Okay. First animal. It's dog-sized. It's got black spots on kind of a tawny coat. Mm-hmm. And it's got kind of a, a mohawk running down its spine and onto its tail. And on its tail, the spots kind of turn into stripes. Okay. And its head has black around the eyes and then kind of like tawny ears and head. Okay. I've got my eyes closed trying to picture this. And what I've got in my head looks pretty badass. (laughs) This animal looks actually awesome. (laughs) 
But what's it called, Ryan? Oh, man. All right, so dog with a mohawk and black stripes. And, and black spots. And black spots. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to go the Fingerator Leopardized Ridgeback. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the actual animal I'm describing is an African uh, civet. Do you want to see the picture? Hell yeah. Whoa! It looks like a cuddly hyena. You want to try another one? Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> okay. This animal has a large curved back and kind of pointy snout. Mm-hmm. And it has a long tail. And the whole body is covered in brown scales. Okay. Um, the S-shaped Sarasota shimmy shack. No, sh- <laughs> the S-shaped Sarasota so shimmy back. <laughs> So hard to... Let me try it again. The S-shaped Sarasota shimmy back. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't roll off the tongue very well. <laughs> I was describing a pangolin. Pangolin. Have you seen these before? Oh, yes, I have. All right. Now you come across another animal. It has an even narrower snout. And it's spiny as opposed to scaly. Its face is almost bird-like because of its snout is so long. Walks on four legs brown mm-hmm. what do you call it the hummingbird dog the hummingbird dog <laughs> i like that <laughs> portmanteau of hummingbird and bird dog <laughs> i was actually describing it in the echidna you seen it in the echidna no do you know this is the animal that sonic uh, that the knuckles knuckles is in the echidna that looks nothing like knuckles i know it doesn't look anything like knuckles <laughs> are you ready for another yeah okay the next animal you come across is small it's about the size of a squirrel has a poofy tail like a squirrel but it has fingers and hands like a monkey and it has ears kind of like a bat and it's brown and furry or gray and furry okay i'm gonna go with the i'm gonna go with a monkey monk (laughs) part monkey part chipmunk and wait wait it's puffy if it's puffy it probably lives in colder climates so the minnesota monkey monk (laughs) yeah it's actually a bush baby later to be shortened to just the minnesota (laughs) minnesota's (laughs) All right, idiom number five, cold turkey. 